are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Well, praise the Lord. How many people want to be successful? Let me see your hands. Amen. We all want to be successful, right? The title of my message today is A Strategy for Success. And I'm taking my scriptures from Nehemiah chapter 2. And um, let me just start reading at verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 2. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Axerus, that wine was before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Since you are not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city of the place of my father's tombs lie waste and its gates are burned with fire. Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and, he sa- and I said to the king, If it pleases the king and your servant, that your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleased the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they may permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he might give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple of the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had set captains of the army and horsemen with me. And when Sambalat the Hornite And Tobiah the Armonite official heard of it. They were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Now Sanballat and Tobiah were enemies of Jesus. They were regional governors set over the people groups by the king of Persia. At this point, uh, Israel was under the rule of Persia. They were occupied by Persian armies. 
And so uh, Persia is what we know today as Iran. It's in that area. Uh, the children of Israel, they were uh, captured and sent for 70 years into captivity into Babylon. And over the, over the years, the Persian army, Iran, uh, captured the people of Babylon, which is in the area of, uh, of uh, Iraq today. And uh, uh, so the, at this time, the Persian king, the Persian army, uh, the Persian country of Iran was uh, the ruling, ruling nation over all that area. So Nehemiah, as you, if you read a chapter 1, Nehemiah gets news from the people that had already gone back to settle back in the land and hearing how, how much destruction had taken place there. The walls were broken down. The temple was in disrepair. Everything was, was gone. And uh, it really broke Nehemiah's heart he had this, this tremendous burden to do something about it. God placed a call upon his heart. It was a thing that to look at in the natural, it was impossible. It was something impossible for one man to do. But yet God was speaking to his heart and God had placed him in the, in the, the, the kingdom of Persia in a, in a special place close to the king. He was the king's cupbearer. He was the one who tasted the wine before the king drank it, just in case there was somebody in the, in the kingdom, in, in his palace, that was trying to, trying to kill him, to poison him. And so the first one to die would be Nehemiah. If Nehemiah was okay after drinking the wine, then the king would drink it. But anyway, he had this special relationship with the king that the king even noticed when he wasn't feeling right, when, he's, and when his countenance was down. And this was one of the times, and, and he spoke to him about it. So, Father, I just pray today that you will just make this word real to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you will give us revelation today. Revelation, O oh God, that will sort of help us, O oh God, to be more effective in your kingdom and in this church. And we ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Nehemiah had a structured and God-ordained strategy for accomplishing the mission that God had placed in his heart. A strategy that we can still use today. Allow me to give you a little background of what led up to this point in Nehemiah's life. Many Jews had returned from Babylon captivity. They were rebuilding Jerusalem. But it was still in disrepair. And there was a lot of money needed. There was a lot of work needed. There was a lot of materials needed that they didn't have. But Nehemiah was in a place you know, it's good to know people in high places. Sometimes someone says not what you know, it's who you know. Well, he knew two important people. He knew the king of, the, uh, of Persia, which was very important. But more important than that 
He knew his God. He knew the God of heaven. The one who had told them that if you people will turn to me and do what I ask you to do, take my instructions, you will be successful in the land. But if you don't, you're heading for trouble. And Nehemiah knew that this was what had happened. So uh, here are the God pronounced on Israel blessings for obedience. And I'll just give you, just give you a little bit of it. You'd have to read it all to, to know about, but it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And so this is the blessings, some of the blessings that he pronounced on them. Now it shall come to pass, Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 4. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully, carefully, all. That word comes up over and over and over again in Scripture. When God is introducing something to his people, when he's instructing us, when that word all comes in, that means all. Okay, you can't get around it. No way around it. No way whatsoever. It's all. All means all. And he said, if you carefully obey, observe all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. And all these, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. And blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall you be, shall be the fruit of your body. That's, you'll have lots of children. And produce of your ground and the increase of your herds and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. This is what God promised Israel for obedience. God places a premium on obedience. Nothing has changed, folks. God still wants us to be obedient to his word, to do what his word says. And then he pronounced a curse for disobedience. Probably you're not so comfortable with curse, then how about consequence? There's a consequence for disobedience. Deuteronomy 28, 15 to 18. But it shall come to pass. If you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all, here it is again, all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall you be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land and the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do, until you are destroyed, and until you perish quickly, because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the plague Cling to you until he has consumed you from the land which you are going to possess. He's talking about the land of Israel, the promised land that he promised Abraham, 
that Joshua led them into, okay? And God said, if you do not obey, this is what is going to take place. And they eventually, over a 400-year period, they kept going down, 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 until God said, that's it, your iniquity is full, and now I'm going to send the enemy in, and they're going to capture you, they're going to tear down your walls, they're going to burn your city, and you're going to be taken to captive. And they were captive for 70 years because of their sinfulness. God is a good God, but he's a just God. We can't play games with God and get away with it. Although it was spoken for Israel, it shows how serious God views obedience and disobedience. Now, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Galatians 3.13. We know this, that God has removed the curse from believers. But if you stop believing, you take yourself out from under the covering of God. There are still consequences for right and wrong choices. The wages of sin is still death, and the gift of God is still eternal life. And we always have to avail ourselves of what God is offering us. You still reap what you sow. That law will never be changed. We still choose which road to take. We still choose to experience truth or consequences. Four months has passed since Nehemiah began praying for the situation in his homeland. He recognized a need and is determined to do something about it. Of course, he's going to seek God's help. He realizes that he's just one man. But God has sparked something in his spirit that says it can be done. And so, he sees it his duty to encourage his brethren, to curry, encourage the people who are still in captivity, to come with me, let's go back and build up our, our homeland again. God has placed him in the right place for the right time. Vance Havner once said, God will not do the supernatural thing until we do the natural thing. God don't intervene until we have reached the end of what we can do. When we begin to realize who we are in Christ and what we can do under the power of the Holy Spirit, 
and rely on that Holy Spirit to help us to be his hand extended, that's when things happen. It will happen in your church. It will happen in your community. It will happen in your family. You and I have tremendous potential in Christ. So when we reach our natural limit, God will do the supernatural. But there will always be required action on our part. So let's look at this strategy. It's a simple strategy that we see Nehemiah using. And the first one is praying. Praying in faith, believing that God hears and answers prayer. Nehemiah was burdened for his people. The, the Bible talks about him mourning and weeping, and it shows great concern for the situation. He knew that God answers prayer, so his first step was to pray. He believed God's word. Nehemiah would have been well aware of God's promise to Solomon. You'll remember that promise. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians rather, 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And heal their land. You see the place that the people of Israel found themselves in. In a foreign land. Away from their homeland. Away from the promises of God. Was because of sin and unbelief. Let me tell you why we can still apply this promise that God gave to Solomon to the church today. First of all, I always rely on the fact that God is no respecter of persons. And you have to realize that the church, the people who make up the church, is God's people. We are God's people. We may be a motley crew, but we're still God's people. Called to be saints, commissioned to preach and to teach. God is not a respecter of persons. Both Old and New Testaments are inspired and profitable for us today. So we don't value the Old Testament more than the new, or the new more than the old. It's God's word. We learn so many things. Why try to reinvent the wheel when it's already been invented? People who trusted God and were successful in the Old Testament, why not take a pattern, a page out of their book, and use it and apply it to our individual lives or to our church or to our community in order to see that success still flowing for God. 
When I was a boy, there was a Christian radio program that would be on Sunday mornings. While our family was getting ready for church, we would listen to it. It was called the Layman's Hour, produced by the, La the Lutheran Layman's League, I think it was. And their theme slogan was, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Folks, prayer is powerful. And you don't have to get in a list of these and thous and thuses. You just pray the way you're talking to your sweetheart. Okay? You just pray to the one that you love and that you adore and you respect and you realize the authority that he has and the authority that he has given you and you pray believing the promises that he has made. And you pray expecting an answer. Nehemiah believed in prayer. One of the major themes which emerges through the book of Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah realized there are many things that you can do after you pray. But there's nothing you can do until you pray. Nothing of significance. Nothing that will last until you pray. That's why we're going to have a week of prayer and fasting. It's saying to the Lord, Father... We're interested in your work. We're interested in your will and your plan and your purpose for Cold Lake. But we need direction. We need to have the mind of Christ, not just the pastor, not just the board, but everybody in the church, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, having the mind of Christ. And when we speak something, it's a revelation to each other. It is a confirmation that this is the way and we will walk in it. Nehemiah not only knew God's word, but he believed it. I found a quote. This is what it says. Real prayer is not just having your agenda and begging God to get on board with your plans. Real prayer is taking God at his word and claiming his promises. Let me say that again. Real prayer is not just having your agenda and begging God to get on board with your plans. Real prayer is taking God at his word and claiming his promises. You can't go wrong if you stick to his promises. God's people have power, a powerful tool at our disposal. It's a mighty weapon of prayer. 2 Corinthians 10, 14, we know it well. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. Mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Prayer, someone has said, moves the hand that moves the world. Listen, a poem that I read here that I found. But there's a power which man can wield when mortal aid is vain. That I an arm that love to reach, that listening ear to gain, 
that power is prayer, which soars on high through Jesus to the throne and moves the hand which moves the world to bring salvation down. Let us never forget the number one reason that God has a church in every community, churches in every community, groups of people that love him and are serving him, is so that more and more people will have salvation, will know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Put everything else aside. If nobody is getting saved, we're just a bless me club. Nehemiah had made himself available. He prayed. And now, step one of this strategy, waiting. Waiting. Waiting is an act of faith. Waiting for God's perfect timing. And just about wherever you look, and when God is doing something, when God calls someone, there's a waiting period. Waiting on the Lord, on the Lord may be one of the most difficult aspects of the Christian life. We pray we want it now. Waiting is the progression of becoming what God wants us to be. Fitting into his plan. What God does in, us, does in us while we wait is as, as important as what we are waiting for. Let me say that again. What God does in us while we wait is as important as what we are waiting for. Don't be discouraged in waiting. Be encouraged. Speak the word of God over your situation. What does God say about it? What do you believe? Speak it through the word of God. Pray the word of God into your prayers, the situation. Waiting develops patience. The Bible tells us that. Something most of us could do it a little more of, right? Did you hear about the woman who, whose car stalled in traffic? She looked un, under the hood in vain and didn't know for the life of her what was wrong. But the driver behind her was just leaning on his horn, honk, honk, honk. And uh, so she was a bit frustrated herself, you know. And so she calmly walked back to the driver and said, Sir, there's something wrong with my car. I don't know what it is. But if you'll go and look under the hood for me, I'll gladly sit here and, and honk your horn. <laughs> it's necessary to wait on God for his timing. God has perfect timing. He's never early and he's never late. But he's always on time. And according to our clock, he's late. We need to synchronize our clocks with God's clock, with God's timetable. It takes a little patience, and it takes a lot of faith. 
but it's well worth the wait. Wait on the Lord, Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. As I said, four months had passed since his recorded prayer. He was still concerned. It showed on his face. It burned in his belly like a fire. But he was still waiting for the right time. Isn't it amazing how God stirs your heart and you know in your knower when it's the right time? And sometimes people start nudging you. When are you going to do it? When are we going to do this? When are we going to do that? And you sort of feel under the gun. Wow, I've got to do it. But in your heart, or for want of a better word for some of you to understand, in your gut, your gut feeling, you know that it's not the right time. And so you're holding on, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. But he was still waiting for the right time. He was waiting for God to open the door. And Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Learn to wait upon God. And it never gets easier. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. You may be pushing earth with a, with a machine. You may be using your computer in an office. You may be seeing yourself on the battlefield. No matter where you are, there are going to be times in your life when you are going to be faced with the fact that it's not the right time. I'm waiting on God for the answer. I'm waiting for the Lord to show me. And then one day, there was the king speaking to Nehemiah. The king said to me, why is your face... Uh, uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2. Why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. He says, I became dreadfully afraid. You ever wonder why he was afraid? The king just said, looks like you're having a bad day, Nehemiah. Looks like you're depressed. I'll tell you why. In that kingdom, in that day, it wasn't a good idea to bring a negative feeling into the palace. People had lost their heads for such. And the king could easily have said, off with his head. And his head would have been rolling within seconds. But God's timing is very important. And this was Nehemiah's opportunity. We have seen it happen in scriptures many times. Esther's uncle 
believed in God's timing. In Esther chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? He went on to say, if you don't move, if God is moving up on your heart and opening the door for you and you don't move, you know God will rise up somebody to deliver our people from some other source. But you will have missed out on an awesome opportunity. Paul experienced God's timing, a time of opportunity as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. He said, a great and effective door, effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Wow. 2 Corinthians 2.12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened unto me of the Lord. The NIV says, the Lord gave me a tremendous opportunities to preach the gospel. Revelations 3 verse 8. God's word to the church. I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. When God opens a door for us, no one can shut it. If God shuts it, no one can open it. Don't try to open it. But you can be sure that if he's shutting a door, he's opening another door. God is a God of open doors. I read this from Russell Kilfer. Desperately, it's called wait. Desperately, helplessly, longingly, I cried. Quietly, patiently, Lovingly, God replied. I pled and I wept for a clue to my fate. And the master so gently said, wait. My future in all to which I relate hangs in the balance. And you tell me, wait? I'm needing a yes, a go-ahead sign. Or even a no to which I can resign. You promised, dear Lord, that if we believe, we need but to ask, and we shall receive. And Lord, I've been asking, and this is my cry. I'm weary of asking. I need a reply. Then quietly and softly, I learned of my fate as my master replied again, wait. So I slumped in my chair, defeated and taunt, and grumbled to God. So I'm waiting for what? He seemed then to kneel, and his eyes met with mine. And he tenderly said, I could give you a sign. I could shake the heavens and darken the sun. I could raise the dead and cause mountains to run. 
I could give all you seek and pleased you would be. But you'd have what you want. But you wouldn't know me. You'd not know the depth of my love for each saint. You'd not know the power that I give to the faint. You'd not learn to see through clouds of despair. You'd not learn to trust just by knowing I'm there. You'd not know the joy of resting in me when darkness and silence are all you can see. You'd never experience the fullness of love when the peace of my spirit descends like a dove. You would know that I give and I save for a start. But you would not, you'd not know the depth of the beat of my heart. The glow of my comfort late in the night. The faith that I give when you walk without sight. The depth that's beyond getting just what you ask from an infinite God to make what you have last. You'd never know, should your pain quickly flee, that it's me, that my grace is sufficient for thee. Yes, your dearest dreams overnight would come true, but all the loss if you missed what I'm doing in you. So be silent, my child, and in time you will see that the greatest of gifts is to truly know me. Though oft my answers seem terribly late, the most precious answer of all is still wait. Can you wait on God? Can you say, Lord, I trust you. I trust your promises. I trust your word. I believe in you. Although I can't understand this valley that I'm in right now, I'm waiting for your answers. And I know that the God of this world does right. And then Nehemiah is faced with the third part of his strategy, working, stepping out in faith. When God opens a door, we must seize the opportunity. We must take action. Nehemiah was not finished with prayer. His opportunity called for more prayer. Verse 4 says, Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to God of heaven. Now you got to remember, Nehemiah is in the king's presence. I don't think he stopped, ignored the king, and just said, Oh God of heaven, Show me now what I need to do. 
He spoke in his heart to God. He had a heart-to-heart relationship with God. Spirit-to-spirit was speaking to God. He was seeking God. You know something, you don't have to get alone and pray somewhere to get direction from God. All you have to do is call. He's as near as the mention of his name. The week of prayer and fasting is not the only time you pray. Devotion times that you have with your spouse every morning is not the only time you pray. You can pray a thousand prayers a day. One sentence prayers. One word prayers. Jesus, I love you. That's a prayer. Lord, guide me. Protect me as I drive to work. That's a prayer. Lord, I need direction. That's a prayer. Lord, what am I going to do? How am I going to pray, pay these bills this week? That's a prayer. Lord, I just run off at the mouth. I say things to my spouse that I don't mean to say, but it just comes out. Lord, I need help. That's a prayer. Don't take very long. To pray those prayers. But it's powerful. Oh, how we need to seek God in everything. Even after God has spoken. Even after, no, you have the mind of Christ. We still need to pray. After you receive the prophetic word. Even when you're sure this is what God wants. You still pray because it's so easy to say, okay, Lord, I've got it from here. Sit back and watch me work. It's not going to work that way. Amen? We still need to pray. It's part of the action plan. After he had prayed, Nehemiah made this request. Send me to Judea, to Judah. Send me. Folks, there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a powerful message here. Send me. Lord, what can I do? Is there something that I can do? I'll do it. You promised me with me. Your word says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll do it. Send me. This is what we call putting feet to our faith. What does the Bible say? Faith without works is dead. We can believe that God is going to send a mighty revival. A mighty revival is going to sweep through Coal Lake and the Lakeland area. But if we just stay in church and say it over and over and over again, we can say it however many times we want, it's not going to happen. Send me, Lord. What can I do to see your Holy Spirit move throughout the Lakeland area? And this is why we are preparing our people for a mighty thrust into this community. 
This is why we have Troy with his voice program. This is why we have John with his meat and potatoes Bible teaching. We want to spread out. We want to have as much as the word of God into us and what we are and who we are in Christ and what we can do in him. This is why we are striving for spouses, couples to get together and to have a better marriage than they ever had before. If your marriage is hurting, if you feel you could use some help, if you feel that you need to be strengthened in your marriage, then get on board with the marriage program, Alpha Marriage. Send me, Lord. Because he made himself available, God opened the door of opportunity. The Bible says in verse 8, the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Because he cared, he seized the opportunity, and he's on his way to Judah to do the work of the Lord. What can go wrong, right? He's got the call of God on his life. He's got the permission from the king. All green lights. But just because we have a desire to do the Lord's work and surrender all to him doesn't mean that we're not going to be presented with opposition. Just because we take a step of faith, do not guarantee smooth sailing. In fact, I'm a firm believer that if everything is going so well, that's too good to be true. We're not doing something right. The church has always experienced opposition. So nice and comfortable in here, isn't it? Would you dare to pray, Lord, stir my heart. Help me to see what you see. Help me to reach my potential in you. It's amazing what God will do, you know. Satan will attack. He'll fight at every turn as Nehemiah was about to discover. Verse 10. When Senballat the Hornite and Tobiah, the Armonite official, heard of it. They were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. The devil is never pleased when God's children are being satisfied, are being blessed. That old thief don't want to see people delivered. He don't want to see sick bodies healed. He don't want to see marriages restored. He don't want to see sinners saved. Christians revived. And the church in unity. Oh, that sends hell for a, a tailspin. It's puts confusion 
the devil and the demons of hell. But we have a strategy, Ernie. We have a strategy that will guarantee success. It's simple, but it works for the spiritual, for the physical, and for the material part of life. Every area of our lives, pray in faith. Without it, we are just a mass of confusion. We got to take our direction from the Lord. Wait in faith. Wait expecting. Our hope is in him. And it's not I, I hope it will happen. But it's based upon the word of God. What God has said. And you know it will happen. And then work in faith. Step out. Step out of your comfort zone. We've got the potential to see a mighty revival taking place in Coal Lake. And as John spoke this morning, the spirit of revival. It's different than talking about it. Totally different than talking about it. It's getting it down into your heart. It's in your bones. It's burning in your belly like a fire. And you're wanting to do something about it. So folks, the ball is in our court, you know that. The ball is in our court. God wants this more than we do. I'm not satisfied with the status quo. When God called me into the ministry, he didn't call me to maintain. I'm, I'm, I'm like a farmer that plants his seed and he goes out every week waiting for those, those seeds to germinate and, and you start to seeing the little green leaves coming up. And then you go and you see they're coming up more and more and more and more until finally it's harvest time. I want to see a mighty harvest in Coal Lake. I think it is it's despicable to think that the evangelical churches Counting us, we, each one of us should have a church the size of all of the evangelicals in Coal Lake right now. 
Can you imagine? If there's somewhere between 14 and 16,000 in Coal Lake, put us all together, there may be a thousand. And I think we're being generous then. If there's a thousand people worshiping God in Coal Lake, in churches today, another 12 or 13 or 14,000 are not anywhere. We've got a mission field right in our own community. And if we wait for them to come in on their own, not going to happen, folks. So we need that spirit of revival. Lord, give it to me, Lord. Pour it into my heart, Lord. Because that's what it's all about, folks. That's what it's all about. Stand with me, will you? Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord as your Savior. Or you've gotten so far away from God, you don't know if you're saved anymore. I want you to come up here and I want to pray with you this morning. God's got a plan. He wants to include you in that plan. If you need to meet with God in some way, come. You need healing for your body, come. Jesus is here to heal. You say, but pastor, I've come so many times. Don't worry about that. Are you believing? Are you waiting on God? Just remind them that you're waiting. Remind them that you're waiting for an answer. Some people do agree with you. Believe for great things. All folks, it's awesome to be serving a God that hears and answers prayer. We're going to go into worship. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. If you want something from God, if you want to give Him thanks today, we're here with you. We want to stand with you to rejoice with those that are rejoicing and to weep with those that weep and to believe with those that are believing for a miracle that it will happen just as God said. Amen. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you today for your word that never returns void. I want to thank you, Lord, that you are all-sufficient one. The promises of your word is true, and we stand upon your word. Let your name be glorified. Encourage the hearts of our people. And as we go to our different homes today, let your Holy Spirit go with us. Help our conversations around our, dinner, our, our lunch tables today. Lord, be honoring to you and uplifting and encouraging in Jesus' mighty name. Lord bless you, folks.
Have a great day in Jesus. If you need prayer, like I said, come. If you want to stay for a time of worshiping and praising God, please do. But uh, there will be no other prayer for this missile. This is it. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a great day in Jesus, and have a great week. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.